You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Friday and it's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the show. Try all that again. On the show, Penzo Performance on I Almost Said a Naughty Word. And you, you can. <laughs> And you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season's heating up. So is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. Sarah, last night we you know, we expected the Rams to win. We both picked that the Rams would win that game. I don't know that either of us thought it would be an absolute annihilation, uh, the, the likes of which would have you question everything that the Patriots are doing moving forward, but that's what no, we I'm got. Glad you, I'm glad you said I don't know if we did because I said it would be a close game on multiple occasions. Well, I was so, yeah, uh, I mean, appreciate sure you smoothing that over. No need to get into details. I mean, uh, but yeah, that that was a, a much more decisive victory than I imagined, uh, mainly because of coaching fits. I mean, we knew how one-dimensional that Patriots offense is, and we know that the Rams are extremely successful in both passing and, and rushing D. Uh, I just didn't think that that would be quite so much of a, of a one-sided affair. Um, but uh, props to McVay for not getting in his head about matching up with uh, Belichick again. Well, and, and realistically, I think at this point we can look at it and say that this isn't going well for the Patriots. And I realize that there are a lot of conversations about uh, whether or not there's the right talent around Cam, how much can Cam play. But whatever is happening right now in New England is happening specifically because they allowed it to happen. The Patriots have had absolute control of everything they've done, and they've been meticulous in the way that they've done it. So we credit that when it's allowed them to use no-name talent and, and get the best out of them. Now we don't get to turn around and say, yeah, but all they have is no-name talent. Like, that's the way that they built things. And so, you know, there has to be some level in my mind of accountability to where they are now and saying, hey, you know what? They screwed up just like every other franchise. How do they recover from that will be the big deal. But right now, I mean, the Patriots kind of, to use the overused phrase, they are who they thought we were. They are. They're not a very good football team. Well, agreed, but we've vacillated on them all season long and their recent stretch of decent games had people on our own airwaves asking, you know, is Belichick going to come out on the better side of the who deserves the credit bowl? With Brady, as the Bucks were struggling, as the Pats were surging, there was a lot of conversation about the places switching in that battle of Belichick versus Brady this year in their first year apart from each other. And right now, they're both kind of sitting at. Ah. I mean, you're <laughs> like not without wrong. each other. Ah. <laughs> it's just a meh. Well, and Maybe and I'll say together, as uh, Jack Johnson would say in the famous song. Make some banana pancakes. When I when I say, you know, that that I haven't changed that like I personally never thought the Patriots were awful. I didn't think they were tanking for Trevor and I never thought the Patriots were good. They're just sort of a bad football team that's gonna sit somewhere between six and ten and eight and eight. Like that's just but but also I keep I keep saying this loudly, like that's okay. You know, there, there's this moment you took a chance. It didn't work out. Like they tried to take a chance on a Cam Newton signing that well, obviously you get more time than this, I think. You, you, you can if you want it. Sure. You can have more time to, to figure out how you can make it work if you think that Cam's arm will come back around. I, I think that either way, if they decide to go all in on Cam, there's an accountability question to that too. What have they seen behind the scenes? If they don't, 
Making a mistake on a quarterback is fine. How you recover for that from little amount of money? I, exactly. I mean, uh, that is a that's the way they chose to play the season. Now, because Bill Belichick is an American treasure and gives to us every time he's asked a question, <laughs> he was asked a question about Cam in the future, and uh, his response was epic. Belichick, Bill, I wanted to ask you about just the quarterback. Um, are you going to stick with Cam next week at quarterback? Yeah, great Sorry. question, Mike. I'm really glad you asked that. Cam's our quarterback. I mean. Such a jerk. Uh, you know, there, there's just this moment where, look, Cam got benched last night, right? So it's a pretty fair question to come in and say. Well, and he Cam- knew someone was going to ask it, so don't <laughs> be a jerk about it. They have to ask you. If they don't ask you, they're not doing their jobs. And the fact that you knew the question was coming doesn't mean they're not going to ask it. Come on. If there's anything I know, this is one thing I'm an expert on. I think Belichick just needs a hug from me. Like, I'll mask <laughs> up. I'll wear right a now. suit. Say, not right now. I, I, you know, I'll wear four masks. He can wear eight <laughs> masks. Well, you know, and just, I just feel like he needs the, the anger just squeezed out of him because he is, he is angry about it at this point. ESP- I figured out how to hug, by the way. Uh, besides, you have, you've got the mask, but then you take a giant hooded puffy jacket and you wear it backwards with the hood over your face. Oh, this is I'm, now I know what I'm buying this week. Now weekend. I hugged my niece the other day. I mean, this is does it work on on large burly men asking for Michael? Yeah, Jr.? make it okay. happen. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over seven hundred and fifty dollars on average. Call or click today. Find out if we could save you hundreds on your car insurance. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, with all that being said, that is one game that we thought might be pretty good turned out not to be. But we are going to get several games this weekend that look like they could at least be compelling. And interesting, we'll say it that way. Games that maybe at some point could give us something about these teams. Steelers-Bills might be at the top of that list for me, Sarah, when you look at the games coming Mm -hmm. up over the weekend because the Steelers are coming off of a loss and the Bills are a team that I feel like everybody seems to have some level of caution buying in on. I'm not sure why, but it feels like nobody wants to go all in on the Bills. So this is a big statement game for both sides. It 100% is. The Steelers had a bad game against a bad team that Mike Tomlin called them out for, and rightfully so, because he looked ahead and said, I don't really care if you win games against bad teams. If you play poorly, it's not going to work against the good ones. They got caught up in a short turnaround against the Washington football team that they themselves played one of their best games in years, and they took that out. Now you see, is this a pattern? Is this a team that's hitting a wall? We've seen some of the numbers on Roethlisberger. He is near the bottom for yards per completion and yards per attempt. They they had, what, 21 rushing yards or something in their last game, right? They have some serious holes that we've sort of ignored because of their record. Well, Now it, they take that L, and we get to get a good look at them against a good team and a great quarterback in Josh Allen. And this could be a real uh, look at just how good this Steelers game is for the eye test and the gut test and not their record. I think Josh Allen, one of the most interesting stories in football this year. 32 total touchdowns. That ties him for fourth in the NFL and the biggest part about it to me is that it's becoming us versus them for Bills fans, for Josh Allen, for everybody around the organization. But this was the year with the pressure. This was the year of the prove it because they did get him some weapons that really give you the opportunity to see if your quarterback can shine. And my God, he has been I, – I, he's exceeded any expectation I had. I thought that the ceiling for Josh Allen was to be a pretty good quarterback, and it looks like he could be far better than that. So I have to give kudos to the Bills organization for the way they built around him and kudos for Josh Allen for 
for the way he's developed. The other game, obviously, that I've got sort of a side eye on, you know, just lightly watching, you know, no passion at all. If you have time. I mean, if I get into it, maybe Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern, I might watch the Colts play the Raiders in a game that absolutely <laughs> means everything to both sides for the playoff matchup. Like, this is a an incredibly big game for the Raiders because this is a team that, that plays best when they run the football, and it is tough to run the ball against the Colts. I have to be honest with you. I was kind of shocked when I looked and, and realized that the Colts now have a better record than the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, eight and four now for the Colts. I, they have a great defense, but there's been moments where you've seen them against teams and they haven't been what you expect. And, of course, the same goes for the Raiders. It is hard to tell who's going to show up for the Raiders. They give a great run to good teams like the Chiefs, and then they kind of lay an egg against teams that they play down to. So this is a real moment for them, especially if it's knowing was it last season that the Raiders started out strong and the second half was just a terrible tumble? Or was that two years ago? Uh, that, that, was, that was last year? Okay. We didn't have to talk. I mean, it was or is year. it every year? I can't remember. <laughs> it feels like every year. It feels like every oh, season. But, God. yeah, I mean, they to start off as hot as they did and to feel like an inevitability for the playoffs, and now you're looking at – these last couple games are going to matter a ton for them. So this is a big one. Yeah, and the Colts, by the way, I mean, they get the Texans, the Steelers, and the Jags after this. So the Colts have plenty of winnable football ahead of them. This game means more, matters more for the Raiders than it does for the Colts. I think the Colts are going to the playoffs either way. Coming up, we'll keep diving into some of the other big week 14 matchups. Plus, an expert gives us the key to the Ravens keeping their season alive. We'll break it down next. Bain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, that's right, we're brought to you by Shell. V-Power, Nitro Plus, Premium Gasoline. We've been taking a look at some of the games over the course of the weekend in the NFL uh, that we're stoked about. A few games, you know, we'll get into our six-pack later. And by the way, if you haven't seen our record on picks, it is astounding. So we'll help you in a little bit. But we've been taking a look at some of the bigger matchups. And Sarah, obviously, I think probably for most people that aren't Raiders or Colts fans, the biggest matchup of the weekend feels like it might be Ravens-Browns. I mean, uh, when you you start talking about playoff uh, caliber teams. I, I'm the one that has said several times I don't think the Browns are going to the playoffs because the schedule is so difficult. But uh, then the Browns went out and did the impossible to me last week and just thumped the Titans. And now all of a sudden, Browns fans are in my bench saying, you didn't think we were going to make the playoffs. We still think we're going to win the division. And they're not wrong. I mean, there's just enough separation that this could go any way. So this Ravens-Browns game carries a lot of weight because of it. I will tell you that at the beginning of the year, you did predict the Browns as a wild card team. Yeah, I'm, so I'm protected so either you props way. props I'm, I'm protected for that, way. but you then reversed course mid-season, and now you're back. Yeah, well, you know, I, like this <laughs> gives me, either way, I, I called it, you know? like that, Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly. The, the right We're way gonna to go. We're going to throw you in our mood swing segment when we finally do it for that yep. flippity-floppity. Perfect. Uh, meanwhile, I'm not going to even reveal that I didn't have them in the playoffs at all. <laughs> Whoops-a-daisy. Um... But I have only flipped once or flopped once because I do think that this is a good team. I just think we need to see them be good against more quality opponents. And this is a chance right here. Again, I don't think the Ravens are great, but this is a chance to follow up on that Titans game with another solid win. I I mentioned before that statistic that Bill Barnwell shared on ESPN Daily. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I do remember that this before that Titans game – the, the teams that the Browns had beat had had a, a 190 combined win percentage. Mm. And the three teams they had lost to had a nearly 80% win percentage. And they lost to those th- three teams by a combined 72 points. So 
if you have questions about this Browns team, I don't blame you. Uh, this has been a feat of scheduling in some senses. And now you get a chance to see them back-to-back against some teams where you actually, you know, think that they validate their 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 quality uh, with, with a victory and they can prove something. Um, Bill Barnwell, speaking of, was on SVP talking about uh, the ways that the Ravens could upend this Cleveland team. Got to be the red zone offense. Something we took for granted last year with the Baltimore Ravens. They were great at everything on offense, right? Yep. And they did everything well. Last year, the second best red zone offense in football in terms of converting those red zone possessions into touchdowns. Week one, kind of expecting the same offense. Five for six in the red zone. Five touchdowns and six tries. Kind of figure, okay, this is just going to be the same thing as last year, right? Since that point, since week two, only converting 50% of their red zone possessions into touchdowns. It ranks among the worst teams in football, despite all the talent they have on the offensive side of the ball. So got to get back to what you did last year. Got to get back to week one, win in the red zone, force the Browns. We know, hey, they want to run the ball. They want to play close games. Force them to try and win a shootout with you. Because even though they you know scored a lot last week, that was really an aberration given how they played over the course of the entire season. So I love uh, some of the stats and info work that gets done here by people much smarter than I'll ever be. But what's interesting to me about this game is that according to our stats people, the Ravens have a 68% chance to make the playoffs because they have the easiest remaining schedule in the NFL. Because of that, even if they lose to Cleveland, they still have a 64% chance to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So like, the Ravens have very little on the line in this game. But conversely, uh, the same could be said for the Browns at this point. As our stats and info people are saying that their chances stand at 87%. And if they only win one of their last four games and against the Jets, they still have a 71% chance of making the playoffs. So these two teams, uh, you know, I'm not sure if this game is more about making the playoffs or more about how they'll be seated and who will be playing where when they actually do, at least according to the stats and info metrics. And probably in the case of both of them, finding some confidence and identity before those playoffs because it's great to get in, uh, but you want to actually have success. And neither team, I think, can rest yet on feeling confident about that. Well, the the Dolphins certainly can't rest, and they've got a big Mm -hmm. matchup against the the Chiefs. And this one's just hard. Like, the Dolphins have spent a lot of money, and I I really do want to credit as much as we talk about Tua. The Dolphins are a, a good football team this year because their defense has played incredibly well. Their pass defense particularly is very, very good. But you can just sort of put all that inside of a container and store it for another week when you play Kansas City. We all know that they're explosive. This is an interesting prove-it game, though, for me to see how good the Dolphins are because there's more pressure on Tua to score a lot of points in this game, and the Dolphins' defense is going to be tested at a higher level. Yeah, this is a tough one for the Dolphins. There's context, right, in terms of success. And for the Dolphins, after a year last year where people said that they were an affront to the sport because of how much they were tanking, and then they surprised us, this is that another big step. But it ain't beating the Chiefs kind of steps. Bill Barnwell was on SVP talking about this one, too, and was asked, how do you you see Miami coming out on top on this one? You got to fight fire with fire, Scott. You can't beat the Chiefs dinking and dunking down the football field. And you'll get the one game the Chiefs lost this year to the Raiders. Derek Carr, who's not necessarily a deep thrower, hit three passes traveling 30 or more yards in the air. Three bombs from Derek Carr. The Chiefs only allowed one other pass like that all season across every one of their other victories. Just one really deep pass. Tua Tango-Vailoa had one of those last week, but it got dropped. Would have been a touchdown. Otherwise, though, 0 for 7 so far in his pro career. And we know, 7 passes. He obviously has a much bigger sample going back to college. But for Tua Tango-Vailoa and for the Dolphins to win this game, they cannot avoid taking shots. They have to hit one, preferably two, of those 30-yard passes down the field. Ooh, got to go big. That, that'll make for an exciting back-and-forth fits if they follow his advice. 
Yeah, it's just have we seen that from him at the NFL? Like we all know he could do it in college, you know. But at the NFL level, can the Dolphins line hold up and give him the opportunity to do that? And I mean, that's just that's man. It just feels like that's not a great combination. And they're off. But I think his point is valid, right? Right. Like, go big or go home. You're not going to win probably this game. And if your best shot at winning is to be aggressive on offense and to try to hit those big money plays, go for it because you're not going to win if you play safe either. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, their offensive efficiency numbers with two at quarterback have been bad this year. I mean, they're just awful. So if you're not efficient anyway, you might as well change things up and just try and attack them for their weaknesses. And and it will be interesting to see if the Dolphins can replicate that because I think that's what everybody's looking at going into the playoffs. How do you beat the Chiefs? So the more opportunity you get to see anybody do that, the better. Uh, by the way, two is hoping to get in the zone. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone, one other big game that uh, I think we're both excited about, Minnesota-Tampa Bay. And, you know, this comes in, y'all, you hear all these stats about uh, the success that the Vikings have never had against Tom Brady. I just don't know why that matters in a game against the Bucks, But still, it's at least part of the narrative is the Vikings have gotten much better later in the season than they were early. And the Bucks have been maddeningly inconsistent. Yeah, this is uh, referring back to what we were saying with last night's game. We're trying to figure out who the Brady Belichick sweepstakes and right now it's kind of like neither I mean the Bucks certainly have a good shot still and they've had moments where they've been up in the upper echelons of this league at one point uh people considered them among the best uh they had them up there with the likes of the Chiefs on uh, the Steelers but maddeningly inconsistent is right it's very hard to tell what you're going to get from this team and sort of the inner workings of what it is that's going on between Arians and and uh, and Brady and that offense still has a lot of people scratching their heads about how efficient they can be, especially against good teams. Um, so while the Vikings were an absolute dumpster fire, they have actually stepped up their play and had a bit of a good run here. So that makes this game a lot more interesting than you would have thought a couple weeks ago. Uh, I always want to use this phrase with like a deep voice. So what if I told you? That Kirk Cousins, that's the best I could do. Kirk Cousins ranks third in total QBR, yards per attempt, and second in passing touchdowns since week eight. Like, we keep talking about, uh, and obviously that's Dalvin Cook has come back and, and been very good for Minnesota. That's a big part of it. But Kirk Cousins has played much better. So it's a team that started 1-5 and five and now suddenly sitting at 6-6. Six and six, they, They're thinking they've got a legit shot at the playoffs and the Buccaneers are in their way. So uh, I think this is a better test than we've seen in a while to, go, to sort of at least see if we can change everybody's mind about anything revolving around Kirk Cousins or around the Vikings. So uh, we've talked about some of the big games, but next... We're going to give you our pick six. I'm telling you, if you haven't checked it out, we win a lot. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Mm -hmm. Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I told you that there were two radio hosts, friends of ours, uh, not us, of course, friends of ours, that were making picks every week in the NFL, not against the spread, just straight up. And their records were 54-17 and and 53-17-1. Would you be interested in the picks? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> everything everything okay over there? Yeah, no, that was my passionate yes. I thought okay. that was pretty good. I All thought, right, good. It's Spain and Fitz. There's Spain, Jason Fitz. I was bringing fire. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Happy Friday. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get all the great stuff from the show, including a couple game changers this week, yesterday with uh, Vandy Kicker, Sarah Fuller. That was a good one. Check it out. Uh, and all the rest of the segments, and sometimes some stuff you can't hear on the radio, just on the podcast. 
Uh, I, of course, was not talking about friends. I was talking about us. We are crushing it. Our six-pack records, I'm 54 and 17, barely beating Fitz at 53, 17, and one. Literally couldn't be closer than that. It's not even a loss that d- decides the difference. It's one stinking tie. It still hits uh, me, though. Like, like, think about that. I'm 53, 17, and one, and I'm in last place in this thing. Like, yeah, there's only yeah, two of us. Pulling up the rear. Uh, let's get into our picks for this week. We pick uh, mostly NFL games. Fitz always picks the college game of the week, and we do them straight up, including having to pick our own teams, which has really been the downfall for us of late. We would be almost perfect if not for our stinking teams letting us down, uh, which is where I'm going to start. Texans-Bears. Oh. Now listen, my team sucks, and it sucks to suck, and it sucks to suck because... You expect them every once in a while to come up against a team like, I don't know, the Lions. And they still lose. And then you ask yourself, can this team be bad enough to lose seven straight games after starting out five and one? And the answer is absolutely. They absolutely can. Uh, So the Bears are going to lose to the Texans because Deshaun Watson is fantastic. He will be the best player out on the field, uh, better than Mack or Quinn or anybody else is playing. And, you know, the Bears' deep depression over having passed on Deshaun Watson while they stare at Mitchell Trubisky, Trubiskying his way through this game, will only make things more painful when they lose. Texans beat the Bears. Uh, wow. I stayed away from that game. I was a little scared. I am a little scared of that game. Uh, I'll start. I'm not allowed uh, the, to stay away <laughs> from this pick or watching this game. Oh, that is fair. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll start with a little love for the college game. I always try and pick the game. Uh, where or I always have to pick the game where uh, game day is at, and this week game day is at Army Navy, and we almost forget that this game's taking place this weekend because of the chaos that is COVID nineteen in the college football world. But for the first time since nineteen forty three, Army Navy is going to be played at West Point, so uh, that's the host because Philadelphia was ruled out due to attendance regulations as a result of COVID nineteen. So this is a, a matchup between two football teams that aren't particularly good this year. I understand that uh, when you look at those two football teams, though. Army Army is more consistent. Army runs the ball incredibly well. Army's defense has been really opportunistic in forcing turnovers. This isn't the matchup, I think, between two great teams like we've seen at times in this. Uh, one thing we know is that the uh, uniforms will be great because they're alternates and they're always good. But I'm <laughs> going to take forward to. Yeah, I'm going to take <laughs> Army over Navy in this one. More important than anything is just saying thanks to everybody that gives so much to play this game anyway. So give them a little love. All right, I like that you pick those. I like that you have to pick those. Uh, sometimes that helps with my uh, standings, that you're forced into that. Uh, we don't have to pick uh, the remaining games, and at least I don't. And so uh, I went with Chiefs over Dolphins. I think this actually will be an interesting game. I, 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 I want to see. I don't think it's going to be a total blowout, but it's really hard for me to pick anyone over the Chiefs right now. The Chiefs are a well-oiled machine, and I think Tua's ball security issues are going to come into play here. That defense is going to make things tough for a rookie quarterback, and Patrick Mahomes cannot be counted out. All right, I like that pick. Again, I stayed away from that game, too, just because it feels a little like there's something a little weird in the air with that one. I, I, I would like for the Chiefs to win it because for my beloved Raiders, they need the help in the playoff standings. So I hope you're right. Speaking of my beloved Raiders, I have to pick this game. And I, you know what? A couple of weeks ago, I felt really good about this game. Colts taking on the Raiders. I felt good about it. 
I do not anymore. Uh, Josh Jacobs has been on and off the uh, injury list over the course of this week. Now, uh, I think most recently he may have an illness. There's there's something else that's keeping him off now. Uh, We have no idea if he's going to play or how effective he will be if he does get to play. Uh, This Colts defense is good. Uh, They're very good. The Colts offense doesn't scare me, but the Colts defense does. I'm not sure the Raiders can get the run game going the way they need to to be good. I think the Colts are going to beat the Raiders, and that's when everybody's going to start panicking. But the Raiders are still going to make the playoffs. (laughs) That was tough for you, huh? That was tough for you, but you did it. Uh, Something that shouldn't be tough is for me to go with my annual weekly, I guess it's weekly, not annual, my weekly routine of finding out who the Jets are playing and then picking whoever it is that they're playing. And in this case, a Seahawks team that needs a W is going to beat the Jets and hand them their 13th loss of the season. I just don't think this team can pull this off. A team that's 0-12 or worst has beaten a team with a winning record once in the Super Bowl era back in 2011. And the Seahawks, while they are you know, 97% chance to get in the playoffs in a good spot right now. They still want to get a win and feel good about themselves after some hiccups recently. So Seahawks get the win. Well, you know, this Jets team uh, already, they already caused me to get some gray hairs last week, but uh, (laughs) there's no gray hairs in this one. I also picked this game because it's easy to pick. The Jets also going to be without a couple of key wide receivers in the game. So it just got a little easier. Not that it needed to be for Seattle. Seattle rolls over the Jets. That's a pretty easy one. Yeah, it is. Now that we said that, of course, the Jets will make things interesting and then lose in heroically dramatic fashion. Well, I hope so, because then that will suddenly validate that the Raiders are actually really good because it (laughs) happens to another team. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that logic, but moving on. Come on. Speaking of teams that I tend to pick against the one in 11 Jags, they don't even deserve a full name at this point. They're just Jags and the Titans at eight and four are going to win this game. Uh, there's a, there's a good shot at this being just a disgusting, ugly game. I know Minshew's been begging his way back in. He's technically been cleared, but they said they haven't seen enough yet in practice to feel confident about putting him back in. He might get in midway through this game when it gets ugly. Yeah, well, I think at this point, the Jags don't want anybody to get in that can help them win a game. That's I mean, true. Jags fans were angry at one point uh, with the way the Raiders-Jets game ended because they think they've still got that outside shot. Somehow, someway, they're going to land Trevor Lawrence. So uh, I, the Jags, absolutely not uh, not even going to be competitive. I also picked this one. The, the Titans are going to roll over the Jags for sure. All right, what's your next game? All right, next up, I'm going to go with a little bit of New Orleans love here. uh, Because, you know, because Taysom Hill's the future. No, because Jalen Hurts isn't the future for Philly right now in this moment. Uh, Philly is going to go out and just get rolled by New Orleans. They're not putting Hurts in a situation to be successful either. So I don't like anything that's happening in Philly. And as I continue to say loudly, we're just waiting now for the end of the entire front office and head coaching regime for the Eagles. I think it's all coming to a crashing halt after this season is over. So uh, no Carson Wentz, no win still for Philly. I picked the Saints in this one, too, but I don't have as much surety as you do that this will be an ugly one for Hurts. I do think that's a great Saints defense. It's a very tough situation for him to come into. It's a, it's an Eagles team that certainly was not all the fault of Wentz, their struggles. Um, so it's 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 not likely to turn out well. But I, I do think there's always that outside shot of the first big start for a player and the other team doesn't really know quite what to expect. And there's a surprise there. Uh, and there's certainly a chance that with Taysom's uh, inability to keep the the ball, his fumble ruskies, uh, that they could 
give the, the, the Eagles a real shot in this one. I still have New Orleans. I'm just not as confident as you are that it'll be ugly for Hurts. All right. Well, uh, next up, I'll go with one, the next one I've got on my list, the Packers over the Lions. I, they're making it easy for us as we get to the end of the season. I mean, it's easy to bet against Detroit right now and uh, Green Bay, obviously, uh, the far superior team. Like, there's just not a lot of analysis here other than saying, hey, Packers, Lions, the Packers are the better football team. They're going to win hands down. A cool thing is that I said last week uh, that if there's anything you could trust, at least it's beating the Lions. Oh. And then see what happened was. See what happened was. Bears lost anyway. Uh, <laughs> but the Bears are not the Packers, unfortunately. And so I feel pretty confident that Aaron Rodgers will lead this team to victory. Uh, and uh, Devontae Adams could break an 80-year-old franchise record if he has a touchdown in his eighth straight game and Aaron Rodgers could get to 40 touchdowns on the season for the third time in his career which would be the most in NFL history if he has four touchdown passes which I wouldn't put it past him against an absolutely pathetic Lions team I got the Packers in this one too uh if you want to make some money I don't know you could follow uh what we said we don't put money on it, so don't blame us if it doesn't go well this oh, week. Oh, yeah. No, I'm cheap. Come on. Let's but be like here. I said, 54 and 17 for me, 53 and 17 and 1 for Fitz. Not too shabby. Coming up, your best bets for the college football weekend from a real expert who I presume does put money down on it. Plus, which Christmas movie would you like to see rebirthed in a new way? We'll get into that next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Fitz, Sarah Spade, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80 on a Friday. We're going to get into a little uh, sports Tinder later by request. It's back. And we've got some topics that essentially forced it back into action. They were too good to ignore. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. And we just did our six-pack of picks for the NFL and one college game. Well, the rest of the college slate uh, might have you feeling lucky. And uh, we always go to the expert, ESPN's Chris uh, Felica, for our best bets in college book, football, here's what he had to say this week. Hey, everyone. Chris Felica, the Bear from College Game Day, back with some college football picks for the upcoming weekend. Uh, hopefully we can continue the, uh, the the good run over the last few weeks. Uh, I'm looking at the SEC with the first game, and I'm a little curious why Auburn's a six-and-a-half or a seven-point favorite down at uh, Mississippi State. Uh, you got to figure Auburn after the last couple of weeks – getting blown out by Alabama. But last week, another top-five team in Texas A&M, giving them all they could handle. And it really could be the case that they very easily could have won the game. That deflected interception that resulted in a touchdown that might have been a pick-six the other way. Uh, the game really, really hinged and changed on that. So got to wonder how much Auburn has left in the tank. And give Mississippi State credit. Uh, this is a team that I thought might be uh, – ready to call it a season a few games back, but they gave Georgia everything it could handle. Uh, they, they played a little miss, tough in the Egg Bowl. They stopped turning the ball over. So uh, Mississippi State plus the points against Auburn might be uh, one game I look at, and then I'm going to go out west. Uh, I, I think USC against UCLA has the potential to be one of the more public plays of the weekend. I think everybody has a recency bias with USC, uh, remembering what Keaton Slovis did on Sunday night against Washington State, throwing the ball all over the place. But at the same time, this is a Trojans team that struggled running the football. Uh, you got to remember the first couple games against Arizona, Arizona State. They were very fortunate to win. Utah turned the ball over a million times. So I think you got to take the whole body of work into consideration here with USC. And you got an USC, UCLA team, rather, 
that very easily could be undefeated in its own right. They, they had a couple of self-inflicted losses against uh, Colorado and Oregon with turnovers of their own, but they, they have uh, put, rolled off some nice wins. Uh, we'll come back win at Arizona State last week. Uh, gotten so much better at the line of scrimmage. So I am, uh, I'm on UCLA here, and then I'm going to stay out west for the uh, the third pick, and I'm going to go with with Oregon State as a small home underdog underdog against Stanford. Uh, Stanford's a team that's been on the road for a little bit now because they can't practice uh, on their uh, on, on their campus, and you got you got to figure double digit underdog who won outright at Washington last week. Now you're a road favorite at Oregon State, a place where you really haven't played very well lately. I know there isn't a huge home field, but but still, Oregon State gets the best player back and running back to Mark Jefferson. I kind of like the Beavers here at home to potentially snap that long losing streak to Stanford. Hope everybody's well and has a great weekend. Awesome stuff as always from the Bear. Don't forget to tune in for college football action tomorrow as Miami hosts UNC, presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins at 3 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. It's Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz. And before the show, we were talking about uh, another one of those table reads uh, as a fundraiser. We've seen a lot of old school movies get this treatment, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, The Princess Bride, uh, television shows like The West Wing coming back. Well, now Elf, the Christmas movie, is the latest to do a live stream table read uh, as a fundraiser for Georgia Democrats. And... It's got all the cast members, Will Ferrell, Zoe Deschanel, Bob Newhart, uh, Ed Asner, Mary Steenburgen, Amy Sedaris, Sandy Richter. Uh, John Favreau, the original, is not in it, and they're replacing him with John Favreau from Pod Save America, which is just <laughs> great. Uh, just go out and find someone with the same name. Uh, some other folks who are going to be in on it, Busy Phillips, Matt Walsh, Ed Helms, Ashley Nicole Black is hosting. So a lot of the familiar faces, some new ones that weren't in the original, and it's all... Uh, to support Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff in that Senate runoff in Georgia. Um, This is a fun one for this because it's so um, whimsical fits. Like, in the same way that The Princess Bride has that fantasy element, I think those are a little bit more fun because you get people that would normally have all the costumes and effects, and you're just looking at them instead trying to reincarnate the magic without without all that other stuff. Well, and I think that's part of what really interests me. I mean, unfortunately for, for me, like they've decided to schedule this thing Sunday. Uh, right when the Raiders play. So I'm going to have to figure out, like, if there's a way for me to rewatch. I don't know yeah, how that works. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, the opportunity to see Will Ferrell. And, you know, Elf is one of my all-time favorite movies. And uh, uh, no matter the season, by the way. I don't care if it's Christmas or not. I will watch Elf. Elf and Christmas Vacation are two movies I will watch in June. I don't care. Uh, and, but part of the, the magic of it is the way Will Ferrell chose to play Buddy the Elf. I mean, there's a, a perfect balance between sort of heartfelt and goofy and innocent and at the same time naive. Like all of it plays so well. And it's just it's that movie for me. So I'm I'm really interested to see how he portrays that character when he's had years and years and years to think about any moment from it. And now he's at a table read. Well, and also, you know, the the slightly aging element always plays into these. Like for some characters in some of these movies that we've seen, it's made it pretty fun. And for other ones, it becomes a little bit it adds a totally different vibe when the character that they used to play, they were in their 20s and now they're, you know, 50 or something like that. This one, it hasn't been that long, but long enough that it, that it'll be fun. And also um, John Favreau from Pod Save America. His brother is actually an actor in real life. So there's a little bit of pressure on him 
there's a little bit of pressure on him to actually see if the chops go beyond. His brother was in the Mindy uh, Kaling show, uh, Champs Champions, I think it was called. I forget the name that was set in the gym. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be some some ribbing going on between brothers on that one. But it had us thinking um, beyond Elf. Which other Christmas movie would you most like to see brought back to life in a table read? Um, and I will tell you, I think a lot of people might go with a Christmas story because it's been so long. You know, that's mm. it. That's from from 83 and it focused on a kid. But I saw that kid at the Playboy Mansion at one of the parties I went to. And I just don't know if I need to see an adult being a kid, they would have to recast that role and make it an actual kid actor. Yeah, I think that that's one of the more difficult things from He's it. He's been sullied now that I saw him at the Playboy Man. I mean, you can't you can't see him and and then have him suddenly back. be an adult. You know that this is a tough Ralphie? one too. You know, uh, so I'm going to throw a total. We by the way, uh, Ralphie, uh, we we met him a few years ago at a comedy festival in Nashville. Sunday and I did, and uh, at the time, Ralphie May, who's no longer with us, was also coming to this party that we were at, and I'm a, I was a, a huge Ralphie May fan. And so Sonny turns around, she's like, oh, my God, Ralphie. And I thought she meant Ralphie May. And then I was like, oh, no, that's not uh, much different. Uh, But I do think it'd be interesting in my mind to see one of these table reads around an animated Christmas thing. Just to watch everybody do the voices. So, like, give me. Charlie Brown Christmas? or, Or even, like, some of the Disney stuff. Like, I know that, obviously, the voice actors are different now. But if you gave me sort of a Disney Christmas story. Christmas Carol. I think that'd be really interesting mm. to see, like everybody try and execute the voices while they do the table read. Another one that would be good is, um, like Rudolph and the Island of Misfit Toys. Oh yeah, I just because you could you could intentionally cast some really weird people, like on purpose. Um, I don't know if you saw that they were they're doing um, it's a Wonderful Life table read, and they cast Pete Davidson as George Bailey. Oh wow! Yeah, That's- like a very weird cast right like one of the things he said on snl the joke on weekend update was with my coloring i already look like someone in a black and white movie (laughs) (laughs) pretty funny because he's so washed out um but yeah so maude apatow is is uh violet bick uh it's also got ellie kemper carol kane mia farrow bill pullman ed begley jr uh ed asner so uh that's gonna be an interesting one uh it's a wonderful life but i think with the misfit toys you could get some people who are sort of misfit toys in real life yeah and all of this makes me want them to bring back like old school radio shows at some point just where everybody's just hanging around and doing that i i I love that doing that at the goodman theater here in chicago while they're closed up we'll get your answers to that you can hit us up on twitter and let us know coming up a sports illustrated piece on the chaos in the texans front office a longtime texans reporter will fill us in you're listening to the spain and fitz podcast in it fits on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Shell Penzo performance line. Don't forget to tune into a football doubleheader this Sunday. The Bears host the Texans, followed by the Falcons at the Chargers. Pre-game begins at noon Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Speaking of the Texans, uh, this is a franchise that I think at times I've been pretty hard on, Sarah, just because they have a great quarterback and they didn't necessarily get this massive return from it. Deshaun Watson has actually, he's so electric and so incredible to watch. You talked about it earlier when you were uh, talking about the game coming up this weekend. And so I have these high expectations for the franchise. Now, that being said, SportsIllustrated.com has put out an article uh, really laying out the rise to power for one particular person on a front office level, Jack Easterby, 
and what it's done to the franchise. So we wanted to get some expertise on everything going on around the Texans. And to do that, we'll head over to the Shell Benzo Performance Line. But we're joined by my good friend, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. John, thanks so much for the time. I hope you're great, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us. When you saw this article on SportsIllustrated.com talking about Jack Esterby, I mean, sort of give me a sense of what Esterby's role has been and where the, the Texans are now. Uh, first of all, Jason and Sarah, thank you for having me on. Jack Easterby came here from New England where his contract expired after six years as executive VP of team development. He got in with Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien praised Jack every almost every day to the media over a year and talked about they could win a Super Bowl with Jack Easterby, and he was his right-hand man. Bill O'Brien was the general manager. Jack Easterby was promoted to executive VP of football operations, and he oversaw a lot of the duties a general manager oversees, like everything involving non-personnel. O'Brien coached the team, called the plays, and he was over personnel. So he had Easterby overseeing contract negotiations, nutrition, medical, strength and rehab, budgets, those kind of things. And those two went hand in hand. And and O'Brien was very unpopular here. And when he got fired – the media and fans wanted Easter be fired too because they had worked in lockstep when the truth was no decision was made without Bill O'Brien signing off on it. Easter B didn't have the power of making decisions. And the big ones like trade of DeAndre Hopkins or acquiring Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills for two ones and a two, Cal McNair, the owner, signed off on it. And so once Bill O'Brien was gone, everybody wanted Easter be gone. Cal McNair had a lot of faith in him, named him interim general manager. And you can see Sports Illustrated put two of its best reporters and writers, Greg Bishop and Jenny Ventress, on this story. And they contacted people and promised them anonymity. And a lot of people lashed out anonymously in the story, uh, ripping Jack Easterby. And as I've told people, I don't think a new general manager and a new coach will want him around. And Cal McNair has told me, three times how Easter Beast's future will be determined by the new GM and Cal McNair, if he's going to be in an organization and what the role will be. Yeah, a fascinating guy. I mean, he was an intern to the team chaplain for the Patriots, to character coach, to going into football ops. And in that SI story, they compare him to Littlefinger from – from Game of Thrones. In fact, one of their sources is the one, a former player, maybe possibly a current player, uh, comparing as he's watching Game of Thrones at home to the power grabs in his own his own team, talking about how, uh, like Littlefinger, Easterby seemed to be trying to pull strings behind the scenes to consolidate power and uh, and be sort of this cunning operative within everything, and that, according to reports, he was the first to suggest and push for the trade of DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, to Fitz's point, as much as the Bears are pathetic for having missed on Deshaun uh, Watson, at least we're not wasting him once we've acquired him, which is what the Texans are doing. Um, is this is this is it possible that any of these people are trying to point fingers at Easterby now that Bill O'Brien's gone because there's no one else to blame for all of this, or is is the futility there much more widespread than the couple people that are shouldering it? Well, Sarah, first of all, the I watched every episode of Game of Thrones several <laughs> times. And we all know what happened to Littlefinger, and uh, he was murdered. <laughs> and 
And I thought it was interesting because I've talked to so many people the last two days where, well, I never watched Game of Thrones. What was what was that all about? And so I had to explain it to them. The Texans have, were trying for their fifth division title in six years. They were 11-5 and five and 10-6 and six the last two years. They won a playoff game last year, choked that 24-0 lead in Kansas City. So it's not like they've been bad. They've been really good. They just didn't get over the hump to get to the to beyond the second round of the playoffs because they played them all on the road and they couldn't win. So this franchise with Deshaun Watson has been good. Not great, but good. Then this year, playing the hardest schedule I've seen in 44 years of covering the NFL, uh, the teams that have beaten them are 69-23. and 23. Think about that. Five of them are in first place. And they can't run the ball. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the pass. They've had two of their best players suspended six games for violating the uh, uh, performance against perform the policy against performance enhancing drugs, and plus they've lost five one score games. So they have really struggled this season. And the only thing they've had is Watson. Nobody's trying to blame Easterby for what happens on the field because he had no. Uh, authority to make personnel decisions. That was all Bill O'Brien. And since he's been named interim GM, he signed Josh McCown, which everybody liked, and he got a seventh-round pick for a guy who never played. And he doesn't do those things without talking to Romeo Cornell and his personnel department. So he hasn't screwed up anything since he has been the interim GM. But uh, and and and. Everybody, everybody likes Romeo Cornell, and especially after dealing with Bill O'Brien. And I think he should be a part of the next head coach's staff. But Jack Easterby's not on the search committee. He's not on the advisory committee. His, he'll be consulted like Romeo Cornell will, but he is not even in the meetings to get a new general manager and a new co-chair. So some people think he has a lot more power than he actually does. We're talking to John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. So, uh, John, before we let you go, uh, you mentioned the head coaching search, the GM search. In your mind, how quickly can Houston ha- turn this around if they hire the right person? Well, they they don't need anything on offense but a running back and a right guard. They need to overhaul their defense. They don't have first and second round picks. Miami has them, but they have eight other picks. Salary cap is going to be a lot higher than the $175 million floor. So the new general manager is going to come in here and slice and dice, and they'll have some money to spend. And uh, so I do not think this team needs – I know it doesn't need an overhaul except on defense. And as long as Watson is here and healthy, they, they're capable of beating anybody, as they showed losing by three at Cleveland, overtime at Tennessee, and blowing this game on the two-yard line against the Colts. John, as always, we appreciate your expertise, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us and giving us the uh, insight from Houston. Jason and Sarah, thank you guys very much. Happy holidays and stay safe. Absolutely. Read them on the Houston Chronicle. Follow them on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. I've tried to get rid of the underscores in there. I can't do it for them. Sarah. I've, I've tried. <laughs> All right. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Quoting home insurance just got easier with Progressive's Home Quote Explorer. Quoting by all online at Progressive.com. Coming up, strange times are upon the Brooklyn Nets and their star, Kyrie Irving. Ah-ha-ha. Hear what he said today that stirred the pot next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Upon. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80.
presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You get all sorts of exclusive stuff out there. You can hear uh, some some of the fun things that don't always make it on air. Plus, it's a great way to keep up with the shows, especially during the holidays while you're, you know, sitting around the house, hopefully not traveling because this is, you know, COVID-19. At least you can have a little bit of Spain and Fitz in your life while you're hanging out every single day. Uh, in the meantime, let's get to some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And I guess it comes, like, is Straight Talk possible for coming from Kyrie? I'm not sure. but uh, what, <laughs> We can give him the Straight Talk. Yeah, well, that's a better way to say it. Uh, what we do know is that Kyrie's response uh, to the net to his lack of media availability has has led to a twenty five thousand dollar fine uh, so far, and uh, that has led to an an interesting quote. That's the best way I can say it is interesting, Sarah. Is the quote is I pray we utilize the fine money for the marginalized communities in need, especially seeing where our world is, world is presently. I'm here for peace, love, and greatness. So stop distracting me and my team and appreciate the art. We move different over here. I do not talk to pawns. My attention is worth more. So apparently everybody that covers Kyrie's a pawn. Yeah. So, and before that, of course, he starts with a quote from uh, from M- uh, Malcolm X, right? It's, I've had enough of someone else's propaganda. I'm for truth, no matter who tells it. I'm for justice, no matter who it's for or against. I'm a human being first and foremost, and as such, I am for whoever and whatever benefits humanity as a whole. Okay? Great sentiment, right? But then he follows it up. By preaching peace, love, and greatness, and then calling the people doing their jobs a distraction and calling them pawns. If he doesn't want the media to react to him negatively, then stop saying things that are disrespectful and stop saying things that can very easily be, quote unquote, taken out of context. You're the one who yourself had to admit later that you went down Internet rabbit holes and and that resulted in you believing that the earth is flat. Then you try to spin it as I was just testing you guys or seeing what, you know, it was a thought experiment. No, it wasn't. You believed it. You didn't understand the Internet videos you were watching and why they were scientifically disproven over and over again. And then you tried to blame it on other people as a misunderstanding when you yourself were the one who was preaching a flat earth. Like the number I I retweeted a video someone made of all these things that Kyrie says that we're clearly not the media misunderstanding him, like in, inexplicably and unnecessarily acting like he was for sure going to come back to the Celtics when no one was asking or demanding that he make that promise, right? The, the, you know, he says stuff and then he blames the media. You're an adult. Your words should be interpreted correctly if you speak them correctly and you stand by them. And he doesn't. And it's 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 going to be a problem for the NBA if anybody else follows through with this, which is why they need to... Find him because there's a precedent set. And as I say over and over again with him, with Marshawn Lynch, with anyone else, if you don't want to talk to the media, you just want to play sports, then do it in your backyard. If you want to make millions of dollars for it, then you're a part of the machine. And that involves media coverage. That involves interviews. That involves you working with the other people that are doing their jobs. And Kevin Love talked about Kyrie, his former teammate, and I think he nailed it here. You know, the great Flip Saunders, the late Flip Saunders as well, he told me, he said, you got to realize, you know, because this is at a point for me where, and you know, you guys know when I got here, I kept my head down quite a bit. I didn't look you guys in the eyes. Uh, and that was, you know, obviously a lot, also a lot how I felt about myself at the time. But 
he told me, Flip told me that, listen, everybody has a part to play, right? And, you know, I, I was telling Jason Lloyd about the, the four agreements and, you know, not making assumptions, not taking anything personal, being impeccable with your word uh, and always doing your best. And I think on both sides, if you do that, like to call you guys or listen, anybody pawns, I've just always felt I've always taken flips words into account that, you know, everybody has a part to play. This is your guys livelihood. Yeah, it is. And guess what? This livelihood helps pay TV contracts, helps move media, helps pay for podcasts and advertising and drives interest in something. It is much more interesting to watch something with the context and the numbers and the stats and the takes. And I think a lot of times Fitz fans forget that. They want to side with the athletes. They want to jump on the media sucks bandwagon. And they forget how much of what they're watching and the quality of what they're watching is driven by the money, which is part of that whole machine I mentioned. Well, and media equals marketing. Let's acknowledge a few facts here that need to be, you know, at least thrown out when we talk about Kyrie. He has one of the highest valued shoe deals. According to Forbes, $11 million is the value of his shoe deal. That shoe comes out and it is marketed. Part of the marketing is press. That's what you have to do. So he benefits from the marketing that comes with his brand, not just for the way he plays on the court. There are plenty of guys that put up numbers that nobody knows their name. When you become a superstar in the NBA, part of that's press. The other thing that I think needs to be stressed here is that there is a current collective bargaining agreement that is in place until 23-24. They could both opt out if both sides want to after 22-23. That's important because Kyrie Irving was elected to the MBPA executive committee as vice president February 17th of 2020. If he wants to affect change on whether or not he should speak, has to speak, or does deal with the media, then he can do it in the proper way, which is to go to the union that he is a part of and collectively bargain a change. If he chooses not to do that, then he's going rogue, which is the very thing that as a union executive committee member, vice president, you should never be encouraging. At some point, you stand as one voice. That's what he commits to when he agrees to represent a union. And if he wants to affect change, there are proper ways he could do it. He's not doing that because he's lazy and he's taken a lazy narrative in this entire process. It's a great point. And and you're right. And I don't think he would get a lot of support from others. There might be players who aren't big fans of talking to media, but they understand that that's part of this process. I don't think he'd get a lot of support if he tried to argue that they should pull out of what they collectively bargained. You know, Mina Kimes mentioned today that he sets himself up for this great circular, secular thing, because if he talks bad about us and calls us all pawns and disrespects us, then we talk bad about him. And then he could point to it and say, oh, see, that's why I don't talk to the press. Meanwhile, there's tons of athletes that have great relationships with the media, and there's tons of athletes that don't really have any relationship and just keep it pretty vanilla and right down the middle, and they don't, they don't have any issues, right? To me, this is similar to, you know, I, I, my biggest thing, Fitz, is if you don't want this kind of attention and you don't want to be misrepresented, wouldn't it be a lot easier to just answer questions with basic responses and stop this from becoming yet another storyline surrounding the Nets before they've played a single meaningful game or a single game at all. Like, all we've spent the last season because Durant and Kyrie were out was how's this going to work? What's the chemistry going to be like? And all he's done by saying, we don't need a coach and I'm not doing media and Flat Earth and Illuminati and everything else is draw attention away from the basketball. And if he really wants it to be on basketball, it's on him to make that the case, and he's the one who's sending us off in different directions. I think that's why his quote, "Stop, so stop distracting me and my team and appreciate yeah. the art. Fine. Yeah. 
Like, look, uh, my, like to, to be transparent, Spain and Fitz will go on without any quotes from Kyrie. Like, it's not like we come in every day saying, what did Kyrie say that we can actually use? The only time that we come in and do that is when he chooses to speak in a way that creates a news story, to your point. And, you know, at some point, if he wants the there to be no distraction, it's up to him to stop being a distraction. There's a simple way to go in and answer the questions that you're being asked. And you're right. A lot of livelihood depends on it. A lot of coverage depends on it. And how many fans right now are sitting there saying, why do you guys never talk about my favorite team? Well, if everybody stops talking to us, then we have nothing to say on some of these. So there, there is exposure that comes. If you're a Nets fan, you want this exposure around your team. You want to be able to talk uh, about your favorite team and you want it to be a national story. He can be a part of that. He's the distraction, not the reaction to his comments. Yeah, 100%. And I think most people recognize that. Um, but there is this very there's this very strange dance that goes on between media and players. And first of all, this came out and it sort of sounded like it was a season long, uh, you know, decision for him. And Malik Andrews reached out to me and said, a lot of people are reporting that, but that's not necessarily for sure. He hasn't definitely said this is going to be all season long. So I think we wait and see if he sort of, eases his way back into the very media that he's right now claiming he's not interested in. Yeah, and that's some straight talk. Straight talk wireless. No contracts, no compromise. I'm sure the fines will have something to do with that easing, too. Coming up, a number of college hoops coaches weighed in on playing a season during the pandemic, but some coaches haven't even gotten to coach a single game this season. One of those joins us next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. And with us now, New Mexico basketball coach Paul Weir. Paul, before we even get to the excitement of a game on Sunday... Take us through the beginning of this season. It's Arizona. Now it's Texas. Uh, how has it been so far? Um, it's been an interesting experience. I'm sure it's been interesting for a lot of people uh, in their own ways and different parts of life. So um, I think part of that comes with the territory. But life as a college basketball coach or being part of a college basketball program um, has been very interesting for us. It's been uh a lot of ups and downs along the way uh, for our guys more than anything. The, the hopefulness that, that something might go their way and then maybe a, a pullback on something. But we're about 48 hours out now and really hopeful that between now and Sunday, nothing will go wrong and we'll finally be able to play somebody else. Coach, we've heard a lot of conversation about the mental wear and tear on players. Uh, you guys are in a different state. I mean, how are you keeping your guys sort of mentally healthy through all of this? It's hard. Um, I, I've, I've leaned on as many people as I possibly can. You know, our, our, our football team has, has moved out of state and, and played their entire season out of state. So you kind of pick the brains of, of coaches and people in and around that program. Uh, we have a professional soccer team uh, called the New Mexico United that uh, played their entire season on the road. Um, so, you, you know, you call their coach, you ask him, and, you know, obviously the, the staff that's here with me now and the people that are in and around our program, hey, what, do you, what did you do? How did you do it? Um, how would you do it? And just day by day, do the best you can. I, I wish there was a, a prescription for this or, or some a book we could go by, but we really just try and offer the kids the most support we can day in and day out and hope that uh, as this unfolds that things will get better. And there are days it is, so um, hopefully Sunday will be a big step for us and, and an exciting one. University of New Mexico men's basketball coach Paul Weir with us here on Spain and Fitz. So take us through, it was Arizona, right? And that was the plan, but now you're going to be at, at the RIP at uh, Lubbock Christian University for your sort of home court? 
Well, so New Mexico State relocated to Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, okay. uh, we relocated to Lubbock, Texas, and they, I believe, are still there. Uh, we were in Lubbock, Texas, and then now we've moved on to Houston, uh, hopefully for the next at least few days while we can get our first few games in. Uh, I mean, to ask a very direct and blunt co- question, Coach, why? is <laughs> I mean, is all of this worth it in the grand scheme of things? It's a phenomenal question. I think <laughs> it's one that deep down everybody probably asks. But I think right now in the moment, these kids are, are in my care. Um, I have two sons of my own, and I'm sure if my sons were going to be college basketball players somewhere and they have the alternative of, of trying, no matter how difficult it might be to go and play the sport that you love, um, you would try everything you could to, to make that happen. And we've, we've tried to provide them that opportunity um, with as much balance on the other side of, are you okay with this? And we're about to leave, you know, the last time we went to Lubbock, it was 17 days of, of living in different hotels, doing this mm. and doing that. And now we're on this kind of little mini road trip that'll take us all the way up to Christmas Eve. And, you know, you're on the road a lot. And we, we've tried to give as many kids uh, space and room to deal with that if it's, if there's been troubles or if, hypothetically they did not want to do it obviously they they have the option to to opt out and take care of their own mental health so it's a great question it's one that like i said inevitably everybody probably asks at different points of the day or the week but i think overarching all of that is just providing these kids an opportunity to to play a game that they they love and and hopefully sunday we'll have that first opportunity it's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to New Mexico basketball coach Paul Weir. The first game is Sunday at Rice. Uh, how much can these guys uh, on your team do outside of practice and hang out? Because the area that you're in has a really high percentage of COVID cases. Uh, how are you managing to keep them sort of busy and entertained when you're not practicing? Yeah, I think we've got great practice Um being in the state of New Mexico for quite an extended period of time and the the rules and regulations that we have to abide by there, not only from our state, but our university and athletic department are are incredibly strict on our testing, our policies, our procedures. And they're, they're pretty aware now of, of all the things they should be doing. And I think our, our situation has gone above and beyond what maybe their peers have done. So I think when you get into these settings, even just getting something a little bit more like being able to practice as a team, which we can't do in the state of New Mexico, is is, is almost enough. It, it gives them a, a window into a little bit more freedom that they that they enjoy. Going further than that into the things that you mentioned are, are not really options and uh, luxuries that I don't even think, I don't know if these guys even think is in their wheelhouse right now. So with that being said, I mean, you mentioned some of the practice constraints that would be there in New Mexico. Like, How does competitive balance within the Mountain West even exist through all of this? You know, I think everybody's acknowledged the competitive balance for this year is, is non-existent. Every, every team, every program has their own set of standards to, to go through and, and operate under. And I think everyone's just doing the best they can or, are there some teams in our league that have had full practices since the summer? Of course. And, and honestly, at the end of the day, despite the competitive disadvantage it might be for us, I'm happy for those people. I'm, I'm happy for those players and, and coaches and people that 
have had those opportunities to um, enjoy that experience. Our experience has been much different. So although it might be somewhat of a competitive disadvantage, I don't think right now that's what we're dwelling on. It's more, hey, we have what we do have, and let's make the most of it and the best of it. And for those that don't have to live our lives, there's no point in, in being upset at them or disappointed. It's more about, hey, good for them and, and the opportunity that they've had. Paul Weir, head coach of New Mexico basketball with us here on Spain and Fitz. They've got their first game of the season Sunday at Rice. Coach, give us a scouting report on your squad this year that we haven't gotten a look at yet. <laughs> we, uh, you might know as much as we do. It's, 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 um, <laughs> it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting dynamic to, in the, in the state of New Mexico, we're, we're not allowed to have contact practices and we're not allowed to be in, in large groups. So, uh, 80% of our time together has been in groups of kind of five or less, and they're not uh, permitted to have contact with each other. So we do drills and different things and be as creative as we possibly can. And then that other sliver of time where we've left the state to do kind of full contact stuff and, and things with our team has been interesting to say the least. It's a, it's a kids that just haven't had a lot of experience doing that stuff. So we're excited this opportunity. Uh, I think everybody is what to expect. Shoot. Maybe all this stuff has, is, is a great blessing and we'll be further ahead than we thought. And if for some reason we're a little bit behind where we all want to be, I think we're just going to be so happy to have this opportunity and hopefully from here, be able to practice consistently and grow the team where uh, as the season unfolds, we'll get better and better. Well, Coach, I'm excited for you. I'm crossing my fingers for you that nothing comes up before <laughs> Sunday. Uh, normally, it would feel like Friday to Sunday you got it made, but uh, we're not going to take any. Yeah. We're not going <laughs> to assume anything until the game tips off. Uh, good luck in the game, and thanks for making time for us. No, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks so much, Coach. Lobos head coach Paul Weir with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, coming up, we'll get to some of your tweets on the holiday movies you'd like to see a table read of and back by popular demand, and this time with more raw fish, Sports Tinder. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Back to Spain and Fitz on a Friday. Oh, that was solid. Thank I mean... you. We're going to get into some sports tinder. It's been a while, but not only because of popular demand, but also because of some stories that just could not be ignored. We will be in on the sports tinder. But first, it's Friday. That's right. It's Friday. 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 Oh, God. Friday feels right, and so does the bottle of wine waiting in my kitchen. I'm gonna watch a Christmas movie tonight. Not sure which one yet. Is there a my, play, like? Is there a type of wine that that, that we're going yeah. for? Yeah, actually, it's my friend Steve that I mentioned last night. The Smith Devereaux. It's the latest in my collection of wine clubs. I became a collector this year, and I started collecting wine clubs. No. <laughs> I need wine to be sent directly to my mouth. Okay, that's that's kind of amazing. Like of all the things to, to go for, like a wine yeah. club. It's like, hey, I yeah, collect. What do you collect? I collect wine cards. clubs. You know? Not business cards, baseball cards, <laughs> business cards too. What a thrilling collection that would be. Um, yeah, no, I collect wine clubs. I'm gonna have a little Smith Deborah cab. 
Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, and I'm going to probably watch Home Alone, but maybe Trading Places, which many people forget is set during Christmas time. We asked you guys, uh, because there is an elf table read on Sunday, which Christmas movie you would most like to see done in a table read fashion. And at Kermudge underscore John hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with some news from Spain and Fitz Nation that he would like to see gremlins, which would be fascinating. I'd be all would into we have that. Puppets? Like, there's a lot of visuals there. Uh, that would be interesting. Uh, at Rex Brenneman also hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with news from Spain and Fitz Nation. A table read of Polar Express. Now, I have not seen that one, but I would like anything with Tom Hanks involved. I've seen like a few minutes of it, but like it's not my favorite animation style. So I'm usually I usually find myself out on that one. I'll be yeah. honest. Uh, Scrooge is a great suggestion from at two saints 76 Bill Murray's a wild card. So that would be a real risky one, but I'd be down for that. And then at good times, dad said, die hard. Yes. Cause there are those movies that have that moment. A lot of people said home alone. A lot of people said national lampoon, any of those ones where there are those classic lines. Those are the ones you're sort of looking forward to throughout. And uh, you know, lampoon, I just watched it last night. Uh, there's just, you know, Rusty still in the Navy. There's just so many good lines in that, that that would be a fun one. Although uh, I think they'd have to replace many of the older cast members. I'm not sure if they're still around. Uh, yeah, but I mean, they could give me any cast members in that. And I would so I mean, yeah, the that... replacement would be the fun part of it, too, is who is playing those. Brad likes to my husband when we watch movies that are from uh, many years ago, he likes to point to either the old people or the animals in it and go definitely dead now. <laughs> like Brad, <laughs> like any any dog in a movie that's not from the last, like, five years ago, that dog's dead now. I'm like, Brad, can you – do we have to? It's Christmas. Oh, that is uh, remarkable. It is Christmas. I do – like, Brad is a treasure, by the way. It's just – I have to tell you that. Special you know? guy. Real special. <laughs> uh, our Christmas gift to you is the return of Sports Tinder. It's time for Sports Tinder on Spain and Fitz. New voice guy. That sounded sensual. It did. It it did. Whoa, I got the tingles. Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> that's how we got the job. That was actually right. his audition he, tape. He right auditioned there. with just that. Nailed it. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with how this works, we read a story from uh, the internet that's either sports related or not. We don't really care. And we swipe, we ask a question about it. We swipe right if we agree with the question, swipe up if we super agree, swipe left if we disagree. And if we really disagree, we swipe down. And this story right here is what brought Sports Tinder back into our lives with the headline, UNLV QB apologizes for eating sushi off nude model on reality TV show. That is a hell of a headline. And yes, the fighting fits is Max Gilliam had to issue an apology as he was eating sushi off a nude model on the TV show Below Deck, which is one of Fitz's favorites. You got Vegas. You got Below Deck. You got Naked People. All the things that Fitz... And sushi. That's your favorite. That is my favorite Wow, this is your wheelhouse. This story was made for you. We are in this, and I know exactly how to swipe on this. Well, the question is... Was he right to apologize? Oh, sorry. I, you know what? You're right. I should jump the, the gun. You were so before. excited. Well, that's that's fair. Uh, I'm well. Was he right to apologize? I'll do it again because I love it. Swipe down. I hate it. Look, <laughs> the only apology here should go to Below Deck for saying that star quarterback was coming on it. Like, let's let's be honest about that. That's number one. Number two, as a fanatic of this show, uh, they threw a lot of hate at the kids for being on the this super yacht. Like, oh, how do these kids afford it? And I've seen a lot of people tweeting me about it saying, well, why aren't we questioning where he got the money? He comes from a rich family, so don't be mad that you can't go on a yacht too. <laughs> so I'm all in. Look, if I ever get on Below Deck, when I... I get on below deck. Bravo, call me, please. 
God, I'm begging. Uh, I'm going to go far more dramatic than that. Like, yeah. Promising. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Was he right to apologize? I'm going to. Swipe right. Yeah, I I think so. Because, listen, you're a senior. Your team's 0-5. It's kind of like a rough season anyway. And you're sort of the face of the team. And if the only thing anyone knows about UNLV football right now is that you were eating sushi off a nude lady... Uh, you're just better off getting out in front of it and saying, you know, I'm so sorry if this causes anyone to think wrongly about me or my team. And I like how he said, I would like to humbly move past this and focus my time and energy on our game against the University of Hawaii. Because he used the word humbly correctly. Usually people say they're humbled when they win an award. That is not a humbling situation. That is a very prideful and ego-filling situation. Being humbled by getting embarrassed about eating sushi off a naked chick on TV, uh, it's kind of baller. But also, he, he used it correctly, and I think he was smart to just uh, try to move past it by addressing it instead of ignoring it. Our, uh, uh, our guy, Devin, has used air supply correctly, by the way. I'll take yeah, all the air supply I can get. Thank nailing you. it all right. with this uh, sports tender romance music. You guys are at home swiping and making bad decisions. So are we. Uh, moving on. Breaking, which is the professional term used among practitioners for breakdancing, will make uh, its Olympic debut at the adult level, not just the youth games, in the Olympics in 2024. So, Fitz, are you fired up about breaking? Uh, I'm going to swipe down. I hate wow, it. I love, I love breaking, as I've now learned is the <laughs> professional term. But as an Olympic sport? Like, I'm just looking over here, I'm like, all right, Michael Phelps on the same team as the guy that brings out the mat and then, like, spins around in a circle on it. I have a weirdness with that. It just doesn't feel like it makes a lot of sense. Let me ask if you want to change your answer when I read this for you. Big news being celebrated by B-boys, B-girls, and dancers around the world. Street dance is a personal journey for most of us. Adolfa Shabadu Quinones tells Yahoo Life. Come on. You're going to look me in the eye and tell me that you don't want to see a sport with a B-boy named Adolfo Shabadu Quinones? Is there like a triple down that I can swipe? Like I'm not yeah. like I'm oh, going wow. down with all the thumbs. Wow, you hate it even more now. Yeah, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. I'm so out on this. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you that if the question is, are you fired up? My answer is swipe right. Hell yeah! Because Michael Boogaloo Shrimp Chambers of the Rock Steady Crew is going to be involved, and if everyone has a nickname like Jeremy Icy Ives Vire from Anchorage, Alaska then I am in the swagger alone of these B-boys and B-girls that they're going to bring to the games. I'm so in for this. The music selections, are there uniforms? Um, look, Imagine I'm for- what a breaking USA uniform would look like, and will I buy it the first day it comes out? Yes. I'm in for a global dance contest, just not as part of the Olympics. I mean, you um, want to make a, a global B-boy, uh, B-girl be contest. Could you more of a snob? Yes. Uh, well, uh, give me time. <laughs> Moving on in sports Tinder, where we make bad decisions right along with you. Colin Kaepernick expanding his oeuvre with a new Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Now, the flavor itself is a non-dairy caramel sunflower butter and fudge chips with graham crackers and chocolate cookies swirled in. So I ask you, are you captivated by this flavor profile? Uh, I am going to 
Swipe up. Super like. Oh, yeah. Like, I love graham cracker in any sort of ice cream. So, yeah, I'm all in on this one. I mean, what is there not to? I mean, yeah, I prefer it was dairy, but, you know, this is the next best thing. The name is Change the World, W H I R L E D, <laughs> which I appreciate. Uh, am I captivated? I'm going to swipe left. Uh-huh. Swipe left. I hate to say it because I think it's great that he has done this courageous work. And I think it's clever that the fudge chips probably represent black and the graham crackers brown people because that's how they release the flavor. His courageous work, uh, stopping police violence against black and brown people. I get what they're doing there, but I can't get down with vegan ice cream, at least for me. For everybody who's vegan, congratulations. Wise choice. I applaud you. But I need dairy in my ice cream. So I ain't eating that. But I do love me some graham crackers. So props to Cap and Ben and Jerry's. And props to you, Fitz. We made it through another week. Happy Friday. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 